So I'm, I'm excited and nervous at the same time to, uh, to preach today and, and get the opportunity to preach. I'm thankful for you all. Uh, I really missed you guys last week. Um, it's, it's weird when you're away and you become so used to such a good community, and I'm just really thankful for uh, my family's here and some support and just the church family, and uh, I can't thank you guys enough. I think I know the majority of you all here. If you don't know me, my name is Jesse Taylor. My wife and I lead the Midtown community group here. I think we have some Midtowners in here. I'm also the intern here with the church, so I do all sorts of random things. I, uh, I, I deal with administrative stuff. I'm running around all the time on Sunday mornings. You've probably seen me, and I, I deal with uh, leading the, the youth, the, the junior and the senior high, so that's a great privilege. Um, yeah, and we've been, my wife and I have been attending this church since, since it started, and initially I had really grand and idealistic ideas as to what a church plant would look like. I thought, my, my vision was kind of that we would be a tight-knit community that had each other's best interests, and uh, we, would, we, would, we would always just be there for each other, that we would explode in conversions. And hopefully we would be meeting needs in the city, both both uh, physical and spiritual. And that someday we would just ex- explode with other campuses and sending out church planners, growing community groups. We already had the go-ahead from Acts 29 and a group of people who wanted to do it, so it had to have been a piece of cake, right? Wrong. After like two two months of setting up chairs early on Sunday morning. Yes, they get set up every single day and torn down and doing life with each other in community group throughout the week. These idealistic ideas I had were kind of teeter-tottering and some selfish desires were starting to, to come up. Things that I never would have acknowledged even existed. I wanted easy growth, easy community. I didn't like people telling me that I did things wrong or critique. I don't know who does. And when it was hard, I felt the desire to back away. The work was and still remains really hard. After all, we're, we're dealing with people, and people stink. I, I stink. <laughs> I've been a terrible friend at times, uh, and a terrible husband, and not a good leader even in the church. And I've been convicted of that greatly in going through this sermon preparation. And I put myself over the community more, more times than I would ever like to admit. And what's scary is most of the time people don't even notice that I did that. So it's easy to make community all about me and to take it for granted. Now what's the point of me opening with this story about, about my journey here with Redeemer? The point is that it's really easy to take gathering together apathetically and to make it about us. My desire as we move into the new year is to see Redeemer take very seriously our mission here in the city. The new year is a time where we're just bombarded with, with selfish motivations. I think we could all admit the culture makes everything about us. What, what are my resolutions? What do I want to, out of this new year? What successes do I want to achieve? If we're not careful, this mentality can creep 
into our minds and our hearts. Now, don't hear me saying that resolutions are bad. That's not what I'm saying here. I just think that they can lead to an overall tendency to focus on ourselves. So today we're going to go, go through Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, actually. My prayer is that moving into the new year, we would put Christ in his body, the church universal, and the local expression of that church, which is mainly what we'll focus on today, over our desires. And that we would take seriously our time when we get to draw near to each other and meet together. If you're here today and you have not yet come to know Christ, then my prayer is that you would see what Jesus has done for you and that you would understand Christ's love and would be attracted to him by what you see in this community. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to read from Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. That's on page 865 of the Gray Bibles in your row. If you don't have a Bible, you can take that. That's our gift to you. Pour into it. Learn from it this new year. So, Hebrews 10, 19-25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Dear God, I thank you for the opportunity that you've given me here. I thank you for this community. I'm, I'm humbled to stand up here and, and to realize just my inadequacies as, uh, as a preacher um, and, and just as a person in general. I thank you so much for the encouragement it is to be in this community. I pray that you speak through me and I pray that ultimately everybody, what they get out of this message is that you're all we need. And um, I thank you for sending Jesus to die for us. And I just pray that you help us to remember that every day as we move into the new year. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So before we dig into the text, I want to go ahead and let you know right off the bat what the main exhortations of, of this chunk of Hebrews is, and consequently what my sermon are going to be today. Then we'll walk, we'll walk through them and then uh, see why we need to meet together with intentionality, with seriousness, how we draw near, and then I'll be out of your way. The, the three exhortations we see are, one, let us draw near to God. Two, let us hold fast to hope in Christ. And three, let us take gathering seriously. So number one, let us draw near to God. In order to take gathering seriously, we have to understand where we are in relationship to Christ. The writer of Hebrews understands this. The text starts with a therefore, and 
last week I was at my in-laws church and the, the preacher there said if we see a therefore we have to understand what the therefore is there for I like that so Hebrews overarching point is that Christ is greater than any angel priest or old covenant institution and because of the salvation that Christ achieved for us we're called to hold on by faith find rest in him and encourage each other to perseverance that's the overall book the beginning of chapter 10 in Hebrews explains that Christ's sacrifice was once and for all No longer do we have to make sacrifices to stand righteous in front of God. This is the gospel. If you get anything out of this message that I give today, I pray that it's this. Both for Christians, non-Christians, it's that you need to know the gospel. We were created in perfection, Adam and Eve, and they rebelled against God. So sin entered our world. From that point forward, we had to make sacrifices to be seen as clean in God's eyes. But God had a plan. Just as we celebrated for the whole, the whole month of December and Advent, that plan was to have Jesus, God in the flesh, into our world. He stepped out of a perfect eternal relationship with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and he was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a perfect life, Three days later, he rose again, and after a little time on earth, he ascended and now sits at the right hand of God. He became the final sacrifice for all, and now he intercedes for us to God the Father. And on some glad day, he's going to come back and defeat once and for all Satan, sin, and death. Now we're able to be in an everlasting relationship with him. And all of this happened by the grace of God. We did nothing to deserve it. We did and do nothing today to achieve it. And for those who have a saving relationship with Christ, we do live truly free. We'll still struggle with sin and put things in in ourselves in the place of God because Christ has has not returned yet to finalize everything. But Christ has made a way and we can rest in that. Jesus was and is the final sacrifice. Verse 18 says, Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. And this brings us to the therefore. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Because there is no longer any offering for sin, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus. This means we can boldly approach God with needs. And it's not just needs that we can bring to Him. We can come just simply to show gratitude. We can have a personal relationship with the God of the whole universe, one of confidence and joy, not of tentativeness and fear. But we still should come with needs, and when we do, we should come with a heart of gratitude and sincerity. Christ died for us so we could enter in. That has to inflame in us some sort of thankfulness. We see that the blood of Jesus, the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, is what has given us this access. 
Just as the curtain was torn when Jesus died in the temple of Jerusalem, so was Christ's body torn for us. We read in the Gospel of Mark how when Jesus died, the curtain of the temple in Jerusalem was torn in half. The writer is showing how Christ's death, he's making a comparison here, that Christ's body was torn so we could enter into the holy place just as the curtain was torn in Jerusalem. In the Old Covenant, or the promise between God and, and, and his people before Jesus died and rose again, humans supplied priests and sacrifices. Now, in this new and living way, Jesus stands as our priest. He gives the sacrifice, and he is the sacrifice. No longer do we have to bring offerings because it's done. Christ set up a new covenant by his blood, and he lives. And because of this, we can now live. We can draw near to God. We can draw near with a true heart, a heart that proves trust, a heart that proves devotion, a clean heart and bodies washed with water. This means that we come with a heart transformed by Christ and an outward confession of this transformation by baptism. Because we can draw near to God, we should gather seriously. We need to live in light of the fact that Christ made a way for us to be reconciled to him. This brings us to the next point in the text, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So point number two, let us hold fast to hope in Christ. So we understand what it means to have access to God. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we also should hold fast to the hope we have in him. What, is that, what exactly does that mean? This means that we need to hold unswervingly, not diverting left or right to the confession of our hope. We have to hold on to the teachings concerning Christ. This is a, the shortest part of this passage, but maybe one of the hardest to do. We're called to not sway from what we know of Jesus. Moving into the new year, let's be a community that perseveres in the truths of Jesus. And it, it will be hard. We will be called fools. We'll be looked at as silly. But we have confidence because at the, at the end of verse 23, it says, He who promised is faithful. Jesus is faithful to fulfill his promises, and we can rest in that truth. So we see that Jesus made a way to enter into the holy place. We see that we must draw near to God and hold fast to the truths in Christ. Both of these commands should cause us to want to gather with intention. But how? The final command in the passage gets incredibly practical. Because we have a way to draw near to God, and because we can confidently hold fast to the truths of Christ, we are called not to live individually, but to live self-sacrificially to each other. Point number three, let us take gathering seriously. Verses 24 through 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we're at the point now where we see exactly how we need to gather together with an intentional attitude. We're able to gather because of what Christ has done, 
In light of that, we should desire to see the body of Christ growing, both in size and maturity, meaning we must share the gospel with others, and we must continue to pour it into each other, which is mainly what this part is discussing, the pouring into each other, something that we can never leave is this good news of Jesus. The text says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Notice here how the the emphasis is not on what we need to do, but on what we must help others do. And going through this part, I had to take a big, a big step back, and I realized that it's something that we often neglect to do. I, I neglect to do it. I understand what it means for myself to be loving, myself to be doing good works, but what does it mean to stir one another up? It means we provoke each other, literally to provoke each other to do something good or to love because of what Christ has done. We are to meet a community that provokes each other to do good works and love. This takes the emphasis immediately off of us. It opens our eyes to those around us. Jesus has saved us into a community, a community that is to encourage, exhort, provoke, and move each other to love and honor Christ in good works. We need to open our eyes to those around us Because God has opened his body for us. We must hunger to see one another acting in love and doing good things for God's glory. We must hunger to encourage one another. I have seen and tasted firsthand the blessing it is to be encouraged by people in this community. And just preparing for this sermon, I have had countless encouraging words given. It's great to stand in front of of a group of people that desires to see Christ exalted. We should rejoice in seeing others doing good works. That's a hard one. What if we made resolutions to see the successes of others? And this is in direct contrast to worldly resolutions. Instead of making resolutions for ourselves, we see here that we are to find ways for others to achieve something. Obviously, we can still have personal goals, but never at the expense of elevating those above God and at the expense of others. Verse 25 says, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're forced here at the end of the passage to gain an eternal perspective. This perspective should farther our seriousness about meeting together. I think that this eternal perspective is something that is lacking in the culture at large and even in the church. We're comfortable. I get comfortable. I have been convicted to hunger spiritually, to recognize that I need Christ. The writer here in Hebrews says that we must recognize that the day is coming closer. This day, with capital D, is the day when Jesus is going to return and establish his kingdom. I heard a story about a pastor from America, and he had a friend who was a pastor somewhere in West Central Africa, where they make coffee. (laughs) Amen. 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 I I forgot to mention, I also work part-time at SOMA, the coffee shop, so holds a place in my heart. Anyways, so a pastor from America went to meet his friend, a pastor in Africa, 
and he was going to give the message on Sunday. Sunday comes around, and it's raining like crazy. It's like yesterday, just cats and dogs coming down. An American pastor, they're standing out, and they're looking over at the, just the grassland, and, and, and he says, well, looks like not many people are going to be ma- able to make it out today. This is the American pastor to the African pastor. And the African looks at him with a slight grin and says, oh, no, they'll come. Just takes a good hour or two to walk here in this mess. So eventually everybody shows up. The preacher does his sermon and he takes about 50 minutes, which is hard to do. <laughs> I've realized. <laughs> he, he, he goes to sit down and, and, and there wasn't much reaction from the crowd, which is odd and not so odd in, in America, but in an African church, there was no reaction and he's a little confused and, and the pastor of the church leans over and says, they walked a long way, Pastor. <laughs> You're going to need to get up and preach another sermon. And he goes, oh, really? Okay, I guess I can do that. How long? He says, about another hour, hour and a half would be good. <laughs> so he gets up and he preaches another hour and a half. Now I wonder if we hunger for God's word like that. Do we hunger to be together? What are we willing to sacrifice to commune with each other? Many around the world risk their lives to gather. I know we've heard this before, but I think it's time to wrestle with that thought. It's vital that we gather seriously. We need each other to build one another up. We need each other to stir up to love. We need each other to truly do good works. We need each other to get the focus off of ourselves and put it on Jesus and our neighbor. We need each other to gather on Sundays. We need each other to get deep in community groups. We need each other to grow in diversity. I think we can all admit that we tend to gravitate towards those who are most like ourselves. Starting on the 12th, as Chris mentioned, we're going to be doing a solemn assembly which is a time where the people of God take time to pause towards the living God in the busyness of this life. I think it's obvious in light of recent events that we have some serious struggles and biases and and sin has been exposed among ethnic lines. It's going to be a good time to repent of sin and seek true gospel reconciliation that we see beautifully described throughout the Bible. God came to save people from every tribe, tongue, nation, ethnicity, class, and culture. We're called to reflect that here on earth. So we must gather seriously to be on the forefront of reconciliation. I'll leave that there because I I think that a whole other sermon or sermon series would be needed to dive into that. So the day is coming when Christ is going to return. We have to be serious about holding fast in the truths of Christ, and we must do this in community. Moving into the new year and this semester, let's seriously take the opportunity, let's take seriously the opportunity we have to gather together. Let's remember that Christ has made a way for us to enter into a relationship with him at virtually no cost to ourselves. We're called to enter in, to draw near to God and each other, not neglect to meet, but to take getting together seriously.
and to understand that it's a great blessing and a grace that we get to be with one another. So let's stir up one another to love and good works. The day is drawing near. An eternal perspective should propel us into taking the focus off ourselves, cause us to wake up every day and remember what Christ has done. So let's be serious followers of Christ and be bold and passionate for his glory. So we have an opportunity now to reflect on what Christ has done by participating in communion. It's a time for Christians to remember exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross. If you have not yet come to a relationship with Jesus, then now it's not the time to take communion, but to respond to Christ and take him as your Savior. We, we take communion here by breaking off a piece of the bread which resembles Christ's body and dipping in the cup which resembles his blood. We have juice and wine to take as your conscience leads you. The wine is in the cup marked with the twine. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for uh, your son. I thank you for the good news that he brings. I thank you for this community. I pray that as we move forward from this day that we we draw near to you and to each other and take very seriously what it means to gather as your church. I thank you for your love for us and and that you sent Jesus to die for us. I just pray uh, for the rest of this day and the rest of this week that um, you send us and that we trust in you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.